Assalamualaikum to everyone uh, that's uh, able to join us live, and assalamualaikum also to anyone who will listen to this podcast later on. Um, I'm going to kick off today's discussion, inshallah, um, which is going to be based on Bedouzaman uh, Said Nursi's 32nd word, uh, third stopping place. Okay. Um, in this third stopping place, Bedouzaman touches on, um, well, he, well, or rather he speaks at length about uh, a very significant issue, okay, a really significant theme in the Risale Nur, um, and indeed in Islam in general. It's this notion that uh, everywhere, everywhere in the universe, everywhere, even in our own lives, even in our own bodies, we are seeing the manifestations or, uh, if you will, the effects of um, Allah's names and attributes. Okay. Um, he's going to um, give us an example um, via both, a, both an, an analogy and then through a real-world um, example um, of how we can view uh, things in the universe, right? how we can view events in the universe in such a way as to uh, recognize these names and attributes. Okay? Um, and in doing that, um, we are able to come to know Allah. We're able to recognize the different varieties of his infinite beauty and perfection. Um, and as we've discussed on many occasions in these sessions, and you know, as Bedouzaman um uh, discusses in numerous parts of the Risale-i-Nur, doing that, okay, learning to read the divine names uh, and through that coming to know Allah and understand who He is as a being of absolute beauty and perfection is the very purpose for which we're created. Now, all beings are doing this, okay. Um, he's going to mention a verse from the Quran where it states exactly that, all beings are in their own way, um, even if it's in an unconscious sense, even if it's just through their lisana uh, hal, you know, through the tongue of state, the tongue of disposition, all beings are worshipping Allah in this sense. Okay, All beings are knowing and making known the beauty and perfection of Allah's names and attributes. Um, so we beings that have free will, like we human beings, um, we have a particular obligation to um, perform this kind of worship because, um, uh, you know, if even beings that lack free will are worshipping, okay, are manifesting perfect obedience to Allah and in that sense worshipping Him, then so too, you know, we ought to um, use our free will to do that same thing. Uh, indeed, that's what our free will is given to us for in the first place. It's given to us so that we can use it for the purpose for which we're created, namely to come to know Allah as a being of beauty and perfection. So um, his discussion is going to be on that. Um, and I've entitled this discussion, um, or I've described it as being a discussion about the true reality of entities in the universe. Okay, Because as we're going to see, 
when we um, begin to read this, Bedouzaman's going to tell us straight away that uh, what beings in reality are, like what their true meanings, their hakika, um, uh, is, is that they are all uh, manifestations of divine names. Okay? Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that after the readings. Um, but, yeah, just bear in mind that um, what we're talking about when we talk about uh, the manifestations of Allah's names, um, we're actually talking there about the true reality of beings. That's what beings are. They are, in reality, manifestations of divine names. Okay. So let me go ahead and read. I do have maybe a little bit more reading uh, here than um, uh, usual. I've got about four pages that I need to read. Um, and this is actually somewhat longer than that, but I'm going to try to keep it uh, a little bit shorter. Um, but I do need to read these four pages um, uh, just um, yeah, just so that we can cover both the um, analogy and then the explanation of the analogy. Um, uh, okay, so let me go ahead and, and, and start doing that now. A'uzu billahi minash shaitan rajim bismillah rahman rahim Okay, and it starts off with a verse from the Qur'an. Bismillah rahman rahim Wa in min shay'in illa yusabbihu bihamdi In the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate, and there is not a thing but extols his glory and praise. Okay, so there isn't anything in the universe that fails to um, glorify Allah with praise. Okay, so in that sense, all beings are worshipping. All beings are glorifying Allah. They're praising him. So, so thus we should too. First topic. According to the meaning of وَإِن مِن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّهُ بِحَمْدِ and there is not a thing but extols his glory and praise. So according to the meaning of that verse, everything has many aspects that give onto Allah Almighty like windows. Okay? So they enable us to, in a sense, know Allah um, as though opening up windows onto him. Okay. The reality of the universe and all beings is based on the divine names. The reality, the hakika, of every being is based on one name or on many names. All sciences and arts are also based on and rely upon a name. Okay, and name here is always with a capital N because they're uh, it's referring there to Allah's names. Okay, so name with a capital N. The true science of philosophy is based upon the name of Hakim, All-Wise. True medicine on the name of Healer, Shafi. And geometry, sorry, and geometry on the name of Determiner, and so on. I just want to find uh, the original um, Arabic or Ottoman Turkish um, uh, for determiner, okay, just so we know exactly what he's referring to. Okay, so it's muqaddir, okay, muqaddir, okay, the one who does everything in accordance with uh, a certain order, a certain measure, okay, and it's been translated here, it's maybe not uh, so easy to, to, to sort of uh, garner that meaning from it, it's translated here as determiner, yeah, it's muqaddir, okay. Okay, so I'll read that sentence again. 
The true science of philosophy is based on the name of um, Al-Hakim, okay, all-wise. True medicine on the name of Hila, Shafi. And geometry on the name of Muqaddir, Determiner, and so on. And in the same way that each science is based on and comes to an end in a divine name, the reality of all arts and sciences and of all perfections are based on the divine names. Indeed, one group of the most learned of the saints, the walis, okay, the friends of Allah, stated that the divine names constitute the true reality of things, where, whereas their essences, so their mahia, okay, the essence of a thing, right, are only shadows of that reality. And that even, sorry, and that even only apparently, as many as 20 manifestations of the impresses of the divine names may be seen on a single living creature. We shall try to make this subtle yet vast truth easier to understand by means of a comparison, and we shall analyse it by passing it through a sieve or through a sieve two or three times, as it were. However long our discussion, it would still be short, and it is necessary not to become bored. Okay, so he's pointing here to the importance of this discussion. Okay, I mean we are created for this very purpose. We are created to come to know Allah through the manifestations of these names. Okay, so it's of the utmost importance that we learn how to do this. Okay, and that we understand what he's talking about here. Oh, he's saying, right, there's no need to become bored, right? However, this, however long this discussion might be. When a very skillful portraitist or sculptor wishes, wishes to paint a picture of a very beautiful flower or to sculpt a great beauty belonging to mankind's fair sex, firstly, he determines the general shapes of those two objects with a few lines. His determining is made through an ordering and adjusting, through an estimating and measuring. It is according to the rules and limits defined by geometry. This ordering and measuring demonstrates that it is carried out with knowledge and wisdom or purpose. That is to say, the acts of ordering and limiting turn on the compasses of knowledge and wisdom. Okay, so compasses there is a metaphor. Um, so it's the wisdom and knowledge that the sculptor has. Um, uh, it's thanks to that that he's able to um, uh, bring about this ordering and measuring. Okay? In the absence of this knowledge and wisdom, he wouldn't be able to bring about this ordering and, wisdom and, and, and uh, measuring. All right. In which case, behind the ordering and limiting, the meanings of knowledge and wisdom govern. The compasses of knowledge and wisdom then point to themselves and they demonstrate that within those limits they have begun the portrayal of small particulars like the eyes, ears, nose, leaves and stamens. Now we see that the members determined by the motion of those inner compasses are taking shape artistically and carefully. Okay. So sculptor here or this artist is not just um, ordering and measuring and using knowledge and wisdom uh, in any old way is you is is doing them in a certain way 
He's using them in a certain way, and that's artistically and carefully in this particular example here. Okay? Since this is so, the one who turns these knowledge and wisdom compasses possesses the meanings of craftsmanship and care. It is they who command and then display themselves. Thus, it may be understood from this that they point to inherent qualities of beauty and adornment. Since this is so, what makes the craftsmanship and care functions is the will to beautify and the intention to decorate. In which case, it is at their command that the artist begins to adorn and illuminate. He gives a smiling and living form to the statue and flower. And, of course, what makes this meaning of beautifying and illuminating function is the meaning of favouring and munificence. Okay, munificence, like generosity. Indeed, these two meanings govern him to such a degree that, quite simply, the flower is an embodied favour and the statue embodied munificence or generosity. So now, it is the meanings of displaying love and becoming known that impel the meaning of favouring and munificence and make them work. That is, behind the latter two meanings, the meanings of making himself known through his art and making people love him govern. Okay. So the reason why this sculptor um, is making the sculpture okay, um, and you know, beautifying and illuminating and adorning it um, uh, is ultimately because of uh, the fact that he wants to make himself known through his art and he wants to make people love him. Okay. This displaying love and becoming known, without a doubt, arise from an inclination toward being merciful and the will to, to bestow bounties. So, since mercy and the will to bestow bounties are governing behind them, he will form the flower as a present. Thus, he fills the statue's hands and pockets with valuable bounties and bestows the form of the flower as jewels. That is to say, what makes this mercy and will sorry, what makes this mercy and will to bestow function is a feeling of gentleness and pity. That is, the meaning of pity and gentleness impels the mercy and bounty. And furthermore, what impels and makes manifest the meaning of pity and gentleness within that person, who is self-sufficient and needs no one else, are the meanings of beauty and perfection, Jamal and Kemal. These desire to be manifest, okay, the desire to be shown. And as for love and mercy, which are the sweetest and most delightful parts of that beauty, they desire to be seen in the mirror of art and to see themselves through the eyes of yearning admirers. That is to say, since beauty and perfection are loved for themselves, they love themselves above everything. And also they are both loveliness, which in the original Turkish is husun, okay, or goodness. It's translated here as loveliness, but you can understand it as goodness. Okay? They are both goodness and love, muhabbet, love. The union of beauty and love stems from this point. Since beauty loves itself 
it desires to see itself in mirrors. Thus, each of the lovable bounties and beautiful fruits which were set on the statue and on the picture bear the flashes, each according to its own capacity, of that meaning of beauty. They display those flashes both to the owner of the beauty and to others. So that last um, paragraph there, it's going to make more sense when we now read, um, uh, not the analogy, but the reality. Okay. Okay, so he's going to come now to the reality um, of what that analogy is expressing. Okay. In exactly the same way, the all-wise maker, okay, the Sani Hakim, okay, the all-wise maker, Right. So maker there, it's like artistic maker, right? Sani. The all-wise maker, the Sani Hakim, delimits, orders, and gives determined proportions and shapes to all things, particular and universal, right? Kulli or juzi. Or juzi or kulli, right? So big or small, okay, microscopic or macroscopic, right? He orders and gives determined uh, proportions and shapes to all things, particular and universal, through the manifestation of his esma, his names. To paradise and this world, to the heavens and the earth, plants and animals, men and jinn, angels and spirit beings, Wuhania. Okay, so all of those beings. He delimits, orders, gives determined proportions and shapes to. By doing this, he causes them to recite his names of determiner, okay, which we said is muqaddir, orderer, which is munazim, okay, in the original Ottoman, it's munazim, and giver of form, musawir. He determines the limits of their general shapes in such a manner that he displays his names of all-knowing, alim, and all-wise, hakim. Then, through the tabulation of knowledge and wisdom, he begins to form them within those limits. He does this in such a way that he displays the meanings of, of craftsmanship and care and his names of sani, maker, and munificent, Karim. Okay, which points to Allah's generosity. Next, with the miraculous hand of art and the brush of munificence, he gives the colours of beauty and adornment to the members of that form, whether a single human being or a single flower, like, for example, the eyes, ears, leaves and stamens. If it is the earth... He gives the colours of beauty and adornment to its minerals, plants and animals. And if it is paradise, he gives the colours of beauty and adornment to its gardens, palaces and hoodies, and so on. You can make analogies for the rest too. Okay, so all of the things that Allah creates, just said so far, all of the things that Allah creates, He adorns, He beautifies them in various ways. Okay, here, for example, He um, adorns uh, paradise with its hoodies and um, you know uh, the beautiful believing women in particular. Um, they make it aesthetically beautiful. 
for example. Okay, all things that he creates are all made beautiful in different ways. The earth, for example, is beautified with its flowers and you know its diamonds and rubies, um, and so on and so on. Okay, you can make examples for all things that Allah creates, um, including your own body. Okay. Furthermore, he adorns and illuminates in such a fashion that the meanings of favoring and munificence are predominant in those objects. Okay, so Allah has, um, you know, these beings that he has um, uh, adorned, that he's beautified, uh, he's shown that he's favored them and he's um, acted generous, generously towards them. He's shown his favor and munificence. Okay. Okay, and these, favoring and munificence, generosity, govern to such a degree where those adorned beings, those illuminated artifacts, become like embodied favors and incarnate munificence. Okay, so it's like, um, uh, you know, favor and generosity has taken on like a physical form. They mention the names of gracious, okay, latif. So not to be con confused with latif, latif, gracious, okay. Um, latif, you can understand that as you know the one who bestows, right? the one who bestows, for example, bounties. Yeah. Okay, so latif, the one who bestows, and munificent, which is kerim, okay, the generous one. Next, what impels the favoring and munificence to manifest are clearly, okay, so what's making Allah um, uh, show this favor and munificence, this generosity, right, are these, right, are clearly the actions of displaying love and becoming known. Okay, so Allah wants to show us um, that he loves, that he wants to be known, he wants to be loved. That is, the qualities of making himself loved by animate creatures and known by conscious ones. They cause animate and conscious beings to recite the names of loving, wedud, right, and maruf, the known one, behind the names of latif and kirim, gracious and munificent. And for this recitation, which is performed by the very mode of their beings to be heard, Then, embellishing those adorned and beautiful creatures with delicious fruits and lovable results, he turns from adorning to bestowing bounties, from graciousness to compassionateness. He causes them to recite the names of Mun'im, bestower, and compassionate, Rahim, and displays the manifestation of those two names behind the outer veils. And next, what impels these qualities of compassionateness and munificence, generosity, belonging to that being who is absolutely without need to manifest, to manifest are the qualities of mercy and gentleness. Okay? So you've got this being, Allah, he doesn't have any needs. He, he has no needs whatsoever. Um, what, what, what causes him then to um, display these qualities of compassionateness and munificence um, it's because he has these qualities, mercy and gentleness. Right? And these particular attributes, they display the names of gentle, Hanan, and merciful, Rahman, and cause them to be recited. 
And what impels the meanings of mercifulness and gentleness to manifest is without doubt an essential beauty and perfection. Azati, essential beauty and perfection. Okay, so there's a beauty and perfection that belongs to Allah's essence, his art, which desire to become evidence. Okay, they desire to be seen. They cause the name of Jamil, beautiful, and the names of Wadud, loving, and Rahim, com compassionate, which are contained within the name of Jamil, beautiful, to be recited. For beauty is loved for itself. Beauty and one possessing beauty love themselves. Moreover, it is both loveliness, husn or goodness, and love, muhabbat. Perfection also is loved for itself. No other cause is necessary. It is both lover and beloved. Since a beauty that is at the utmost degree of perfection, and a perfection, right, a kemal, that is at the utmost degree of beauty, jamal, are loved and are worthy of love to the utmost degree, most certainly will they desire to see and to exhibit themselves through displaying their flashes and manifestations in mirrors, in accordance with the capacity of the mirrors. That is to say, the essential beauty and perfection, so the zati, jamal and kemal, the essential beauty and perfection in the essence of the all-glorious maker, the sani, zuljalal, and the all-wise one of beauty, the hakim, zuljamal, and the all-powerful one of perfection, the qadir, zulkamal. Okay, so these are all divine names that we're, that we're reciting here. The Qadir Azul Kamal, the all-powerful one of perfection. All these names, they require the qualities of mercy and gentleness and impel the names of merciful, Rahman, and gentle, Hannan, to manifest. Okay, so we're seeing here how some names follow on from other names, right? Some names are related to other names. Okay. As for mercy and gentleness through displaying compassion and bounty, they impel the manifestation of the names of Rahim, compassionate, and bestower, Munim. And compassionateness and bestowal require the qualities of displaying love and becoming known, and impel the names of Wadud, loving, and Ma'ruf, knowing, to manifest. The qualities of displaying love and becoming known impel the meanings of favouring and munificence and display them on the veils of those artefacts. They cause the names of Latif, gracious, and munificent, Kerim, to be recited amongst those veils. As for the qualities of graciousness and munificence, they impel the acts of adorning and illuminating. They cause the names of Adorner, Muzeyin, and Illumina, Munawwir, to be recited by the tongues of the artifacts, beauty and luminosity. The qualities of adorning and beautifying require the meanings of craftsmanship and care. They cause the names of Maker, Sani, and Bountiful, Muhsin, to be recited by the beautiful features of the artifacts. As for the craftsmanship and care, they require knowledge and wisdom. And they cause the names of 
Hakim, all-wise, and all-knowing, Alim, to be recited by their well-ordered, wise, and purposeful members. Okay, last little bit. And knowledge and wisdom require the acts of ordering, forming, and shaping. They display the names of determiner, muqaddir, and giver of form, musawwir, causing them to be recited by the artifact in, in its entirety through its form. Thus, the all-glorious maker, the Sani Zuljalal, has made all his creatures or artifacts in such a way that he causes most of them, and especially animate beings, to recite numerous divine names. It is as if he has dressed each creature in 20 different shirts, one on top of another, or has enfolded them in 20 veils, and he has inscribed on each shirt or veil different names. Okay, so Bidizuman continues here now for a few more pages, or at least a couple more pages, um, and just continues to uh, talk about in a more in-depth way about, um, exactly as he has done there, about how all beings... Um, that Allah has created, okay? Every created being, whether we can see it or whether we can't, um, whether it's uh, accessible to us now or uh, whether it won't be accessible to us till later, all of the beings that Allah creates, uh, in paradise, in hell, um, uh, in the barzakh, indeed, um, in the dunya, all the things that Allah creates, they all fulfill the same function. Um, their role is to act as manifestations of um, one or more divine names. That goes for every single thing. Right? There isn't something um, that doesn't manifest at least one divine name. Okay? And that is actually the Mahia. Okay? But as I'm saying here, that is actually the Mahia, the true reality. Right? Um, uh, 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 sorry, um, uh, that is actually the reality of things. Um, rather, the mahia of things, like the essence of things, um, uh, are just um, shadows of that reality. Okay, so what does he mean by that? Um, so let's talk about that for a moment. Okay, um, think of any given um, artifact. Okay, so think, for example, of um, like some thing that you might eat, like an apple. All right. Um, now, if you ask me, you know, what is the essence of that apple? You know, uh, I might say that it's um, its essence is that it's um, uh, a fruit. You know, it's an it's a food. Okay, it's something that um, we eat. Okay, I might uh, think of its essence in that sort of way. Or, you know, if I'm someone else, like if I'm scientifically minded, uh, if I'm a physicist and, you know, I prefer to think of things um, from that particular perspective, I might say that its essence is that it's a collection of particles formed in a certain way. Um, and if I'm a chemist, I might think of it, you know, in terms of its molecular structure um, uh, and, and so on and so on. So, you know, we can look at it from different perspectives, and from each of those perspectives, we might think of it as being a different sort of thing, okay, having a different essence. Um, but the reality is that um, that essence is only a shadow of its reality, okay. Um, 
uh, its true meaning uh, is something beyond that. It's something over and above that. Okay? So an apple is never just an apple. Um, that might be the meaning that we tend to ascribe to it. Okay? We, um, you know, as beings that don't worship uh, sufficiently well, um, as beings who fail to see um, that Allah is manifesting His names and attributes all throughout the universe, as beings of that nature, um, you know, we might fail to see it in this way, but in reality, what the apple is, is not merely a food, or not merely a collection of particles, or something with a certain molecular structure. Um, it's not in reality um, any of those things. Its true reality, its true meaning is this, is that it's a manifestation of one or more divine names. Right? In the case of an apple, probably numerous divine names. Okay? Um, and Bedizamans mention lots and lots of them here. You know, um, like, uh, you know, it has a certain um, uh, form, okay? Uh, you know, it has a certain, there's a certain artistry that's manifest in it, isn't there? Um, uh, you know, there's a certain symmetry that it has. Um, you know, it has a certain nice colour. Indeed, it has a nice taste, a nice smell. Um, all of these are, you know, all discreet all manifesting different divine names, okay? Names like Sani, for example. Um, uh, not names like Musawwir, uh, Muqaddir, you know, the Terminator, the Giver of Form, um, uh, you know, the Adorner, and so on and so on. Um, in its very beauty, a name like Jamil, for example, is manifested, um, and so on and so on. In the fact that it's created, right? it's a created thing, isn't it? Like, it hasn't always existed. It was created. It was brought into existence. Um, the divine name of Halik manifests there. Uh, in the fact that we do eat it, and, you know, by eating it, we're nourished. Uh, you know, divine names like Rahman, Rahim are manifested. Um, divine names like Rezak are manifested. And you could go on like this all day, okay? Um, just in, you know, the one thing, We've just noticed there that several, you know, maybe dozens of divine names are manifested. Now, um, the fact that it manifests those divine names right, uh, is its true purpose. Its true reality, uh, its very purpose in existing is exactly to do that. It exists for no other reason than to do that. Um, it's, it exists so that divine names can be manifested. Um, and through the manifestation of those divine names, what happens is well, at least a couple of things. Okay? You, know, you might because you might wonder at this point, well, why does why does Allah manifest want to manifest His names? Um, well, these divine names they all follow from uh, certain divine attributes. Okay, so you know we'll all be familiar with. The, for example, the um, you know seven or eight fubuti um, attributes, you know attributes like um, you know power, will, knowledge, sight, hearing, speech, life, um, uh, and you know on the view of some scholars are tekwin, creatorhood. Um, so you know we all are familiar with the fact that Allah has these sort of um, uh, you know positive or fubuti attributes. Well. Um, what Allah does is He manifests those attributes, right? In other words, He puts them to work, okay? He 
um, yeah, he uses them, if you will, okay? Um, uh, yeah, you can think of it roughly on that analogy, okay? He has these attributes and he puts them into effect or into use. But he doesn't just do so in any old way. He does them in such a way as to manifest, for example, beauty or artistry or uh, adornment or um, the bestowal of bounties or the giving of sustenance or the giving of healing and so on and so on. Um, you know, because you can imagine that a being like you know, uh, you can think of it even on the analogy of yourself, really. Like, you might have um, certain attributes, like you might have um, sight and hearing and speech and life, uh, knowledge and so on, but you may or may not use those uh, particular attributes uh, to, for example, um, uh, produce artistic works. Like, I know in my case, you know, although I have an apparent, you know, power to act, um, you know, I have the ability to, to choose to act, let's say, um, but I don't have much artistry, hence um, I cannot use those uh, attributes to manifest artistry. But Allah is not that way, okay? Allah uses those particular attributes to manifest countless divine names. Um, so the fact that he does that um, with regularity, the fact that he's sort of doing this all of the time means that, you know, we can call him by certain names, all right? Um, like, let's say that if you've got a certain person who uses his um, attributes, you know, uses his power and his life and his will and so on, he uses these sort of basic attributes to, let's say, always give charity, then, you know, we might think of him as, like, we might name him the generous one. Right? We might um, describe him in that manner to people. Okay? Um, so the divine names can be understood roughly on that analogy. It's because Allah uses attributes always in certain ways um, that we can thereby refer to him by those names. Now, there are 99 Asmal Husna, so 99 sort of main beautiful names that we're made aware of in Islam, but the reality is that Allah has countless names. Countless names, um, and in, in particular, these will be manifest in paradise, like where you know Allah just creates, um, you know, for all eternity, He'll create an infinite variety of things and in an infer, infinite variety of ways. Um, so, hence, infinite names will be manifest, like just as I've mentioned in previous discussions, just in. Um, our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's supplication book, his dua book, uh, known as Jawshan al-Kabir, uh, 1,001, exactly 1,001 divine names are mentioned. So Allah has many, many names by which he could be referred to, right? It, it, which is to say that there are many, many ways in which he, his you know, activity and his beauty in general can be described, okay? Um, so Allah has these um, names which in, follow from his attributes, right, which, um, yeah, which are, um, um, you know, we can call him, in other words, by these names because he uses his attributes always in certain ways. Um, these attributes are themselves um, manifestations of, or uh, they follow from the fact that Allah has um, what's, what Bediziman is referring to here as these additional attributes of Jamal and Kamal. Okay? Um, the reason why Allah has 
um, so you can you can try to understand um, what I'm about to say uh, in this way. Okay, the reason why Allah has these attributes of power, will, knowledge, sight, hearing, life, creatorhood, and indeed the reason why He has those thousand and one names, or those ninety-nine Asma husna or indeed the countless names that He has. Um, the reason why um, He has those is because in the first place He is a being of infinite beauty and perfection. Uh, he is Jamal and Kamal. He has a kind of a beauty that is very different from the beauty that we are um, familiar with in our own lives. Okay, um, So, you know, we sort of seem to um, manifest certain kinds of beauty ourselves sometimes too. You know, for example, um, we have some knowledge. Some of us are more knowledgeable than others, you know, to that extent. Uh, some of us manifest that sort of beauty more than others, um, uh, don't we? But no matter how knowledgeable a person is, um, nonetheless, their knowledge will still be finite. Um, or, uh, you know, there'll be certain occasions on which they manifest the opposite of knowledge, um, certain things uh, that they believe will be untrue. Um, to that extent, their knowledge is not um, kamal. It's not perfect. It's finite. It's limited. But Allah's uh, knowledge, Allah's um, beauty in general is not like that. Okay, His beauty is perfect. It's without fault. It's without limitation. It's without defect. Um, no fault can be ascribed to it whatsoever. Uh, when you think of Allah's beauty, when you think of his jamal, you have to think of it as expansively as possible. Um, and even then you, will, you would fall short of truly apprehending the perfection of that beauty. His beauty uh, is at such a level, the infinitude of his beauty, in other words, is such that the human being is uh, incapable of truly understanding it. Um, he is both Jamal and Kamal. He's a being of absolute beauty and perfection. So what that's going to mean is that there's no good attribute, whether knowledge, you know, whether will, whether power, there's no good attribute. And indeed, there's no beautiful name that he lacks. Okay? Um, so contrast that with us, you know, we might have some good attributes but lack others. Okay? So um, you know, I might be you know, very good at some things, but I might completely lack artistry. For example, uh, I might be, I might have wealth, but I might like, I might lack generosity, etc., um, etc. Et um, human beings, so finite beings in general, by their very nature, uh, by the very fact that they are finite, uh, are going to be the complete opposite of Allah. Uh, we are finite, yet He is infinite. Um, and when we say that he is infinite, what we're talking about there is the fact that he is infinite in the qualitative sense of the word. Okay? Um, he has no fault, no defect. His beauty is absolute. It's infinite, um, which is the very converse of how we are. Um, now, if Allah is a being of absolute beauty and perfection, uh, it's going to follow that yeah, there is, you cannot think of a single good attribute that he lacks. Uh, if you if you imagine Allah to lack a certain good, uh, you know if you imagine a being that lacks, for example, life 
you know immediately that that being can't be Allah. Uh, why? Because uh, uh, that, that being would to that extent be imperfect. Um, so that can't be Allah. Uh, so in general, like when we're trying to understand who Allah is, you can apply that rule. Uh, if the being you have in mind is in any way imperfect, then straight away you know that you're not thinking, thinking of Allah, you're imagining some other being. Okay. Um, now, do this thought experiment. Okay. Um, imagine two beings, right? two beings that are candidates for being absolutely beautiful and perfect. Okay. Uh, Jamal and Kemal, two beings. Yeah. One being is very, very beautiful, right? The first being, being A, is very, very beautiful, let's say. Uh, but the problem is that uh, he is unaware of his own beauty, okay? He's not a self-aware being. He's not a, even if he has consciousness, he's not conscious of himself, like certain animals that we, you know, spoke about in previous weeks. Now, imagine the next being. Okay? Uh, he has both beauty and he's aware of his beauty. He knows his own uh, beautifulness. Now, which of those two beings is a better candidate for being absolutely beautiful? Well, it's obvious that it's the second. Okay. Um, so, from that, from that we understand that Allah is the sort of being that knows his own beauty. Now, again, ask, what about, what about the issue of being able to enjoy or love one's own beauty? Um, so imagine this, Allah uh, you know, knows his own beauty, um, but cannot love it, cannot derive, um, yeah, he cannot, just simply cannot love it. It's hard to sort of uh, talk about this without using um, uh, you know, anthropocentric terms, right? Uh, so you know, we have to make that mistake often, but um, you know, these are the only words we have in which to describe Allah, right? So um, imagine that yeah, Allah cannot in any way love his own beauty. Uh, to that extent, he'd be deficient. So that cannot be uh, a being of absolute beauty and perfection. So therefore, Allah cannot be that way. So now, therefore, we know from that that Allah loves his own beauty. But he loves his own beauty. Bedouzaman describes at length elsewhere in the Disali Nur. He loves his own beauty in a very perfected way, right? in a very Qudsi way, a holy way. The, the thing is that we finite beings, we've been given by Allah the capacity to love as well. But our capacity to love, our uh, ability to love, particularly here in the dunya, is quite finite. Which is to say that, um, it's not merely to say that we can only love a finite number of things or anything like that. It's rather to say that it's imperfect. Um, think of like a mother who loves her child no matter what he does. Okay, so think uh, of Hitler and the fact that he's killed millions of people and yet let's pretend his mum still loves him. <laughs> okay, to that extent, her love would be imperfect. Um, but Allah's love is not like that. Uh, Allah, is, uh, Allah has a love that is quite kudsi, quite perfect. Um, so when you think of the manner in which Allah loves his own beauty, uh, again, you know, we've got no words with which to describe that uh, other than, you know, the, um, you know, the, the language that we have. Right? Um, but nonetheless, we've still got to try to uh, imagine the manner in which Allah loves his own beauty 
in a very perfected way, in a Qudsi way. He can't love his beauty in the imperfect way that we love. Okay? If he loves his beauty, he does so in a manner that befits a divine being, that, the, that befits the divine being that he is. Okay? Um, so, since it's a limitation or a fault or a defect to be incapable of you know, loving or uh, you know, otherwise enjoying your own beauty, um, then you know that that cannot be uh, impu imputed to Allah. Allah must be able to love his own beauty. Why? Because he possesses an infinite beauty, an absolute beauty. It's a beauty that's not def deficient in any way. He, he, there, there are no attributes that, of perfection that he lacks. No abilities or capabilities that he fails to have. Okay? Um, so, Allah loves his own beauty. But in addition to that, in addition to loving his own beauty, because he also has you know, attributes like care and compassion, mercifulness, pity, okay? These again, these are all part and parcel of being a being of absolute beauty and perfection. Remember, he doesn't lack any attribute of perfection. He doesn't lack anything, any any good thing, any good attribute that you might uh, be able to imagine a being having. Um, because he has those attributes, because in the first place he is a being of absolute beauty and perfection, he also freely chooses for there to exist other beings that can also come to know his beauty and perfection. And therein lies the answer to why it is that we finite beings exist. We created beings exist because of the fact, ultimately, because of the fact that Allah's beauty is um, absolute, because he's Jamal and Kemal, um, because of that, Allah freely chooses to create us. Now, does he have to create us? Does he need to create us? No, he doesn't, because to have needs is an imperfection. Okay, um, Allah doesn't have any needs. Allah, as Bedizaman mentions here in both his analogy and in the reality, um, in, in, in both sections of the reading that we've just done, um, he mentions the fact that this being is totally free of uh, any need. And that's because he's totally free of any fault. He's a being of absolute beauty and perfection. He can't have needs. He can't have anything that he lacks. But the thing is, being a being of absolute beauty and perfection, again, he has irade. He has will. And he can use that will however he wants. He has absolute freedom. And if he so chooses, he can create beings to also enjoy his beauty. Um, so although his mercy and compassion are in a sort of sense impelling him to do that, in a way, uh, you know, it's correct to say that he creates us because he's merciful and compassionate. That must not be understood as a need that he has. He freely chooses to act compassionately or mercifully. He's not forced to do so. Um, it, it, whenever you think of anything that Allah does you can never imagine that he does it uh, kind of like an you know uh, kind of like in a robotic or automatic way um, he always does whenever he acts he always does so because he has used his irada his freedom he's a being of absolute beauty and perfection so therefore he's also a being of mercy and compassion um, as he loves his own beauty he chooses to create other beings who can also love it. 
And that's why we exist and that's why we have eyes and ears and free will and all of our faculties. You've got a taste with which to, uh, uh, sorry, a tongue with which to taste, ears with which to hear, uh, eyes with which to see, and so on and so on. All of these faculties are given to you because of this reason. Allah wants you to know His beauty in the same, uh, just as He knows His beauty. Okay, He knows His beauty, and He wants for you to to know it. Um, therefore, He creates us in this universe um, and he creates various artifacts he creates planets and stars um, then he gets for example a planet to orbit its star in the fact that that planet orbits that star various divine names are manifested you know um, uh, names like Qadir names like Nur you know like in for example the light that emanates from that star the name Nur manifests in the orderliness with which those orbits um, occur, you know, um, uh, you know, names like uh, you know, muqaddir, uh, determiner, uh, and so on and so on. Names like that are all manifesting. Okay, um, what Allah wishes for us to do is to uh, witness those events occur in the universe and see that his names are manifesting in the occurrence of those uh, um, uh, phenomena, in the occurrence of those events. Uh, again, a, a planet is not a pl merely a planet. A star is not merely a star. And indeed, the orbit of a planet around the star is not merely an orbit. Uh, th those things all exist just to manifest the relevant divine names that they manifest. Just as an apple isn't merely an apple, so too, you know, a celestial uh, object is not merely a celestial object. Every single thing that Allah creates, He creates so as to manifest His names and attributes. Um, and our task is to do exactly that. Our task is to worship Him in that particular sense. Right? That's what it means to worship indeed. What it means to worship is to exist here in the created uh, universe and observe phenomena, um, taste food, hear sounds, um, you know, indeed listen to uh, music, watch a theatre, um, see a movie, you name it. Um, have friendships, uh, have children, fall in love, uh, act generously. You name it, right? All of the things that we see and hear and indeed do are all there for no other reason than so that we can worship Allah, which is to say that they're all there for no other reason so that we can witness and experience the divine names that are being manifested in the occurrence of those phenomena, in the existence of those phenomena. Okay, um, That is the hakika of um, everything in the universe. Now, you know, I, I remember, I'll finish off on this note, you know, um, I've used up an hour already. Our readings today were, were um, uh, actually, I think I've used 55 minutes. So I've got about five minutes to go. Uh, our readings today were a little bit longer than usual, so we've not had as much time as usual to, to sort of talk about what we've read. Um, but I'll finish on, on, on hopefully this point here. You know, um, I remember many years ago, I had a discussion um, you know, I had a sohbe, um with with some friends, um, and in that sohbe, in that discussion, 
uh, I tried to give an argument to a brother uh, about Allah's existence. And from memory, I think I um, spoke about uh, a phenomenon in science, like this thing in science called the fine-tuning of the universe. I mean, um, some of you might be familiar with this. It's this um, uh, idea where, um, you know, physicists and scientists, um, they've discovered that the laws of the universe and various other phenomena in the universe, um, you, know, uh, you know, the initial um, uh, conditions and, you know, all of the various physical constants of the universe, uh, you know, for example, the strength of gravity or, you know, the speed of the electron or whatever, okay, you know, all of those sorts of phenomena, um, it seems that they've all been fine-tuned for the existence of life, um, which is to say that um, they've discovered that had those... Um, had those laws been even slightly different, then carbon-based life would have been just impossible. Um, so many um, believers in God use this as an argument for Allah's existence. They'll say that, look, you know, um, it's obvious that someone has created the universe in exactly the right way, uh, you know, to make it uh, suitable for living beings. Uh, indeed, uh, a certain physicist even went so far as to say that it's, uh, and, and he's not speaking from the perspective of a believer, he's just speaking from a scientific perspective. He said that it seems that someone has monkeyed with the laws of physics or the laws of the universe to bring, you know, to make it, you know, to make life possible. Um, so I described all of this to uh, this brother, and he objected as follows. He said that, you know, look, that didn't really convince him of Allah's existence. Uh, we didn't see that as a good argument for Allah's existence because he said that, look, you know, reality might be different to what we think, okay? So uh, he's touching there on this issue, um, and it's an issue in both science and philosophy and epistemology in particular, um, uh, particularly in the area of scepticism. There's this view that... Um, you know, we might be wrong about the true nature of, you know, this physical universe, okay? So, you know, we think that everything is, you know, um, made out of particles and those particles, ha you know, behave in certain ways, uh, they interact in certain ways and then we describe that in terms of certain laws of physics, uh, certain forces that have certain strengths and so on. But actually, you know, we might be completely wrong about that. You know, um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe reality is very, very different. Maybe uh, I'm just being deceived about everything in the universe. You know, yeah, maybe um, I'm being fooled by an evil demon um, to believe that the world is the way that it is. Maybe I don't even have hands and feet or a body, and I'm just a brain in a vat that's fed beliefs. Um, you know, uh, I've got like, uh, you know, I'm a brain with electrodes attached to it, and I'm just fed beliefs by a supercomputer. Um, so, you know, uh, thinkers have grappled with this idea, and they worry that, yeah, you know, it means that we don't really have any knowledge. We can't really, we're not really justified in what we believe because we could be wrong about it, and we'd have no way of telling the difference. Um, so he had a worry of that nature, okay? Um, but here's the problem with that line of thought, okay? Um, let's pretend that, uh, you know, let's pretend that we want to entertain that line of thought. Yeah, maybe reality is different. 
Um, but how do we know that reality, even if reality is different to how it seems to us, how do we know that it doesn't point to Allah in an even clearer way? <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, you know, the fact that reality might be different is not necessarily an argument against Allah. Um, you know, if reality is different, yeah, you know, it could point to Allah in an even clearer way. Um, and actually, as it turns out, um, in a sense, that brother was right. Actually, reality is different to how it seems to us. Uh, in reality, things are not just collections of particles. Things are not as they seem. Really, what things are is something that points clear to Allah. Things are all manifestations of divine names. That is the true reality of things. So we see here that, yeah, you know, uh, despite the fact that reality you know, isn't as it immediately seems, I mean, you need to sort of scratch beneath the surface to see the hakika, the reality of things. Um, once you scratch beneath that surface and see the true reality of beings, you see that it points to Allah clearly. Okay, so our task is to try to do that. Our task is to see beyond the veil of causality, you know. And we'll have another discussion on exactly that issue on another occasion because it's an important issue in its own right. Um, but the problem is that, you know, this is the very last thing I'm going to say, I promise. Um, the, the, the problem is that it, we are fooled into... Um, we are fooled into seeing things the wrong way because things seem to have apparent causal power. You know, we think that the reason why, for example, a planet orbits a star is because there is this force in the universe called gravity, and that's why it occurs. You know, it doesn't. It's not a manifestation of, uh, you know, the divine name of Qadir or Muqaddir or anything like that. No, it's the law of gravity. You know, but um, the reality is that. That law of gravity um, is just a veil, okay? It's just a veil that you need to peer under. It's a veil that you need to lift. Uh, you know, there is no such thing out there. There is no real thing out there called gravity that makes things happen. Rather, gravity is just the description of the fact that Planets do orbit stars, um, or that uh, you know bodies do attract one another with a certain um, uh, force or in a certain way. Okay, um, the laws of the universe are all just descriptions of what happens. They don't really say why these things happen. They don't say that these things have to happen. Um, rather, they just describe that they happen. Um, and the reality is that these things couldn't be happening on their own. Okay. Um, uh, you know, a planet can't orbit a star on its own. It doesn't have the required faculties to be able to, to do that. Uh, it doesn't have the knowledge or the life or the consciousness or the intelligence. It doesn't have any of the faculties that you need in order to manifest order, for example. Okay, So we need to see beyond that veil of causality, and we need to see that, yeah, look, really, nothing can exist or do what it does on its own Everything points to Allah. Everything is in reality a manifestation of one or more divine names. Um, I'll end on that note. Jazakallah um, khair. Thanks um, for everyone um, uh, that's able to, that was able to join us uh, live. Thanks to everyone who listened to um, this recording. Uh, please do join us again next week. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka antal alim al-hakim ala rasulina salawat.
اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد لله الفاتحة Jazakullah khair and uh, see you guys soon inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.